0: all right we are back let's devote this entire segment to a topic we've never hit before well we've hit it before lots of times but never as a topic for an entire segment the topic would be bad ideas. Varying from the silly (laughs) to the profoundly bad. Let's start with one that's a little less profound. For decades, people that live on Olive Drive, in our fair city of Davis, have walked across the railroad tracks, to, which separates where they live from the Davis downtown. This ancient shortcut provides easy access to services and transportation for residents from one of the few low-income areas, I guess you'd say, in Davis. Per article in the Sacramento Bee by Hudson Sangri notes that despite residents' protests, Union Pacific Railroad officials say they're ready to put a stop to what they call an illegal and dangerous practice. They plan to build a tall fence along the tracks for two-thirds of a mile. It notes that in a month of enforcement sweeps last year, authorities cited 68 individuals for trespassing and ejected 110 others without warning near the Davis train station. But wait, it gets better. Union Pacific wants the city's cooperation to secure state funding to erect the fence. That's right, they want everybody in the state to pay for a fence that will isolate people living along a mile of Olive Drive from Davis. So if they want to get to downtown, they'll have to walk an extra mile and a half now rather than go across the train tracks. City officials note that by the time someone now walks to the crowded intersections that would uh, allow you to pass around this fence, their already dangerous levels of congestion would only increase. Of course, I guess if you get flattened by a car on Russell Boulevard, nobody sues Union Pacific. Anyway, officials in the city of Davis are dragging their feet on this proposal, and I hope they can drag for a long time. Maybe UP's been talking to some of the knuckleheads in Sacramento that decided the best way to improve the downtown would be to put obstructions throughout it. This was called traffic calming. And in the end, people getting so frustrated they just said to hell with it and drove around the entire area did have a certain calming effect. All right, we mentioned a few weeks back one of the last acts of outgoing governor Arnold Schwarzenegger was a bit of political payoff, apparently. He reduced the sentence of Esteban Nunez, son of former assembly speaker, Fabian Nunez, Apparently, the governor saw some mitigating factors in the fact that after Fabian and his friends got drunk and took knives to go out and stab people, well, I guess they found it was somewhat mitigating that actually Esteban himself did not stab anyone to death, only his companions did. Arnold Schwarzenegger cut his sentence from 16 years to seven. And now reporting on this, a source who has to remain uh, unmentioned came forward to shed some light on what a punk Esteban Nunez is. According to our source, when Fabian Nunez apparently got word of his son's previous antics, in this case, crashing his official car while drunk, the former Speaker Assembly apparently was angry at the CHP for arresting his boy. Commenting on this recent uh, reduction of sentence, UC Davis criminal law professor Floyd Feeney said, politics are hard to ignore in the case. Yeah, I guess so article by Laurel Rosenhall in the Sacramento Bee noted that this sentence reduction brought some people uh, uh, some unhappiness. They cited Sacramentan Kelly Williams, who noted that her godson was involved in a donut store robbery in 2006 and pled guilty. He's serving eight years for this robbery, while Nunez is serving out less time than that for manslaughter. Pretty lame, don't you think? By the way, according to Esteban uh, Nunez's 2008 arrest warrant affidavit, he told people he thought his father would take care of it as regards his going out and stabbing people with knives. Of course, this sort of thing is universal. There's a movie out now called No One Killed Jessica, which tells the story of how the authorities were finally shamed into action in Delhi, India. The story is that Jessica Lal, a model, was shot to death at a posh party where she was working as a bartender. She'd refused to serve an obnoxious reveler at the end of the evening, and feeling snubbed, he pulled out a pistol, pointed at her head, and pulled the trigger. Several partygoers saw the murder, and dozens watched as the killer fled. The Economist magazine notes that once he was arrested, getting a conviction should have been easy. Turns out the perp was the son of a powerful politician of the nearby Haryana state. Under the magazine, Acolytes of the Accused Powerful Family bribed and threatened witnesses. Police were paid off. Evidence was lost. In this film, which tells the story, there's scenes showing how uh, witness after witness retracted their original testimony, saying they could no longer remember the events. Jessica Law's sister, Jessica Law's younger sister, Sabrina, fought against the system, seeking justice, and after the acquittal, of the murderer. Journalists got involved. They went around and spoke to uh, witnesses who admitted to their perjury. Candlelight protests were organized and eventually, shamed by the attention, the Indian courts in 2006 at last convicted Manu Sharma and sentenced him to life in prison. We intend to see this movie at some point and do like to reflect on the fact that sometimes enraged citizens can see to it that the right thing gets done when their bureaucracy fails them. It can happen in India. It can happen in America. It can happen anywhere. And one place we hope the right thing will happen is Pakistan. To again quote from the Economist magazine, in his first speech to Pakistan's constituent assembly on August 11, 1947, the country's first president, Muhammad Ali Jinnah, made clear his belief that religious toleration should prevail in the country that he'd brought into being. He said, "You are free." you are free to go to your temples, you are free to go to your mosques, or to any other place of worship in this state of Pakistan. Note of the magazines, a dreadful measure of how Pakistan has sunk since then, that Salman Taseer, governor of Punjab, was murdered on January 4th because of his outspoken support for that principle. Taseer, member of the Pakistan People's Party, had been uh, campaigning on behalf of an illiterate Christian farmer who in the course of a row with neighbors over drinking water had been accused of blasphemy. Not just accused, but convicted and sentenced to death. Taseer had called for her to be pardoned and also for the law, under which death for blasphemy against the Prophet is mandatory to be changed. One of his bodyguards took issue with that, shot him dead. That's far from the worst of it. All over Pakistan, religious extremists have demonstrated in support of the murderer. What's really making people nervous around the world is that uh, among the supporters of the murder are a group of Pakistan's young lawyers. They were once seen as a force for democracy, but their energetic campaign on behalf of the killer has dismayed friends and supporters of the slain politician Salman Taseer. This is from an article by Charlotte Gall in the New York Times. This is again a stark reminder of how politics and religion don't mix very well. Actually, they mix all too well, but when they do, trouble results. Speaking of politics and religion and a bad mix, over in Israel, the politicians are now feeling they can openly thumb their nose at the Obama administration. As part of that, they're continuing their building of uh, settlements, which at this point, per the calculations of Palestinians, would leave them with about 60% of the West Bank. Previous Israeli leaders have offered 90 to 95 percent of the West Bank and land from within Israel to compensate for the annexations of these Jewish settlements. This of course is all very unacceptable and until there are two states in the Middle East, one of Palestine and one of Israel side by side, there's just going to be bloodshed. This seems obvious to almost everyone but almost everyone does not include the Israeli right wing. It is curious to note that Chile last month became the fifth Latin American country to recognize Palestine as a state. This trend started in December with Brazil, which was seeking to expand uh, trade ties with Iran and Arab countries. Then Argentina, Ecuador, and Bolivia followed suit, endorsing a state in the entire West Bank and Gaza Strip, which would leave Israel with its pre-1967 borders. Chile, which has one of the largest Palestinian communities outside the Middle East, jumped on the bandwagon in early January. And speaking of Arab countries, there's some concern over the fact that uh, after a man apparently lit fire to himself in protest in Tunisia, and word of this spread on the internet, uh, there was an uprising and the president ended his 23-year rule. Noted the LA Times, President Ben Ali's departure was a major milestone in the Arab world where long-standing authoritarian rulers exercise tight control. It was noted this may mark the first time in recent history in which an Arab public, rather than a political rival or foreign invader, has risen up to oust a dictator. Of course, uh, what do we value? If by we, I mean the CIA and certain powers that be, well, we value stability. So the headline in the Sacramento Bee on January 16th was Domino effect feared after Tunisia upheaval. Why, what a fearful that idea is. Rising up and trying to establish more democratic states out of of dictatorships. Phew, hate to see that. Wait, didn't we invade Iraq to get rid of Saddam Hussein? I'm pretty sure that's why we invested those vast sums of money in a war that goes on and on and on, isn't it? Had nothing to do with oil politics and money from the military industry. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the case. Aren't you? We have more stupidity than we have time for. I've got to speed this up. Let's see. Headline from two weeks ago. House Republicans wasted no time Thursday in trying to block the Obama administration's acting to stem global warming. Great. Gum up the works at the EPA. Good move, boys. Here's one we have to disagree with our friends at the Sacramento News and Review over. They had a piece talking about how a private landing strip, the Mustang Airport has grown from three takeoffs and landings a day to 10. And they're worried this could go up to 20, which would be 7,000 flights per year. This may have a, an impact on the local, uh, the local wildlife preserve. Have to disagree with you guys on this one. Uh, you know, a plane coming in every hour seems a little bit less than catastrophic to us. And by the way, where was the news and review when they, cl- when they shut down uh, Natomas Airport? Well, on the wrong side of that one, too, in my uh, humble opinion. But you know what? They do fine work over the SNNR. We stand behind you most of the time. We don't have time to deal with this one in detail today, but it certainly belongs in the bad idea file. Sacramento developer Angelo Sacopoulos continues to scheme over buying the water-rich 17,000-acre Conaway Ranch in Yolo County. This apparently is really about buying water rights that you can sell at a profit. Article in the Sacramento Bee quoted Richard Livingston, a retired teacher and community activist in Davis, who said he was especially unhappy that part of the plan at Conaway involves selling water to the Metropolitan Water District, which delivers water to, surprise, Los Angeles. Said Livingston, I'm not the least bit interested in floating the waters of Yolo County down to Southern California. Anyway, as long as we're talking about corruption and politics and stupidity, which I think pretty much defines (laughs) the water situation in California, here's one we may be ahead of the curve on. If you've ever flown over Southern California and driven through it, you may have noticed California's largest inland body of water, the Salton Sea. I was talking to an old pal from Southern California who lives not far away, and she said, oh, they've always told us that it's a natural body of water. Let me quote for your amusement from what's described as the Salton Sea Authority, a group that's trying to restore this body of water. They cite several myths about the Salton Sea. Myth number one was, Given its man-made origin, the sea should simply dry up and revert to its dusty and dry natural beginnings, dust to dust. Answered the Salton Sea Authority, the Salton Sea is not a man-made body of water. This myth begins with the factual history of the sea. Indeed, massive flooding in 1905 caused the Colorado River to break through an irrigation canal and flow freely into the Salton Basin for a year and a half. By the time the breach was closed, the present day Salton Sea was created. They go on. Myth number one, however, suggests that a static, dry, natural state exists in the basin. Well, yeah, you know, I guess if you dug a big giant hole in your backyard, and filled it up with your garden hose, you you could claim it was a natural thing, I suppose. But uh, the story is, over the centuries, the Salton Sea would occasionally fill up and then completely dry up and blow away. It's done this many times. Prior to 1905 and the Colorado River going haywire, it was known as the Salton Sink. But after taking a year and a half of the outflow of the Colorado, it filled up again. Now, to be honest, we're with the Salton Sea Authority when they say that it would be a valuable resource to maintain for recreation and for wildlife. Sounds good to us. The problem is, to maintain the Salton Sea, you need more fresh water. And at this point, the only reason it hasn't dried up, or at least dropped down to an incredibly low level and making it intolerably salty is that the fact that it acts as a drainage basin for 500,000 acres of farmland in the Imperial and Coachella Valley. Meaning that year in and year out, the Salton Sea is becoming agricultural wastewater. And by the way, we have no reason to suppose these are organic farms they're draining. Thus, we think it fair to say that the Salton Sea is a ticking time bomb. And while restoring it is a good idea, we ask the same question that we ask of this Delta Commission currently planning to ship our water to Southern California. Where is the water going to come from? Rather than replenish the Salton Sea, the city of San Diego just took a bigger cut of the water which drains that basin to uh, divert it for municipal use. This is an issue we will return to when we gather some more facts, which we think are going to turn out to be pretty hair-raising. All right, let's round third and head for home in this uh, segment on stupidity. Article from The Raw Story, which I will quote from. newly minted Republican Senator Mike Lee of Utah said in a lecture posted to his YouTube channel "The congressional laws banning child labor are forbidden by the U.S. Constitution. Lee, a fierce advocate for the Tenth Amendment who replaced longtime Republican incumbent Bob Bennett in the Senate, argued that only states have the constitutional authority to create such laws. Hey, let's hear it for putting the kids back in the coal mines. Apparently, this new species of Republican uh, understands, you know, what, what the Constitution is supposed to be through, I don't know, psychic powers. At the recent swearing in for the latest Congress a lot of the Republicans quoted from the Constitution, noted Mike Doyle, they tended to leave out some of the icky parts. Like how when you do a census, you wouldn't count Indians and slaves would count as three-fifths of a person. They also left out the 18th Amendment, Prohibition. They failed to mention the part about how, uh, you know, fair is fair. If a slave escapes, you've got to return him to his rightful owner. Now, admittedly, they did change some of these rules as they went along, but uh, these guys that think they got the original intention down pat, whew, like Antonin Scalia. Writing in that left-wing pinko publication, Bloomberg Businessweek, writer Ann Woolner said, I tend to think of myself as a person, as do most women, but we are obviously mistaken. Supreme Court Justice Antonine Scalia has corrected this fallacy in a new interview in which he says the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, which prohibits depriving, quote, any person, unquote, of equal rights, does not apply to women. Scalia is, of course, the nation's most visible and most outspoken proponents of originalism. The belief that the Constitution must be interpreted only according to its author's original meaning and intent. Says Scalia, when the 14th Amendment was passed in 1868, it gave equal rights to freed male slaves, not to women. Said Scalia, sorry to tell you that, but the Constitution doesn't prohibit discrimination on the basis of gender or sexual orientation. By the way, Antonine Scalia and his, um, his number two vote, Clarence Thomas, were the two justices in the seven to two vote that turned down a constitutional challenge to a 2002 law that makes it a federal crime for a felon to have body armor or a bulletproof vest. This law, by the way, came in response to several shootouts involving police, including a notable bank robbery in North Hollywood in which the robbers wore body armor. By the way, according to Newsweek, Clarence Thomas, which gives uh, Antonin Scalia his second vote on the court, hasn't asked a question since February 22nd, 2006. Apparently he sits there like a bump on a log, year in and year out. And in case you're keeping score, it turns out that Chatterbox Justice Sonia Sotomayor asked 278 questions in the first 12 cases before the Supreme Court Edging out the notoriously loquacious Antonine Scalia, who only could manage 271. Scalia may not be willing to uh, grant her equal rights, but she's going to keep talking anyway. All right, enough stupidity. Let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Well, I'm about to get upset watching my TV. Checking out the news I tell my eyeballs fail to see I mean to say that every day There's just another rotten mess And it's gonna change, my friend Is anybody's guess So I'm watching and I'm waiting Hoping for the best Even think I'll go to praying Every time I hear them saying That there's no way to delay That trouble coming every day No way to delay That trouble coming every day I watch the riot, I seen the cops out on the street. I watch them throwing rocks and stuff and choking in the heat. Listen to reports about the whiskey passing around. Seen the smoke and fire and the market burning down. Watch while everybody on your street would take a turn. The stomping, and smashing, and bashing, crashing, slashing, busting, burn. And I'm watching it, I'm waiting. open for